Well, again, it's great to see you this morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is George Davis. For some of you, maybe you're new to our church. Thank you for joining us, either in person or online. And if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 6. We're starting a new series this morning, as you can see, Resurrection as a Way of Life. And we'll get to Romans 6 in a moment. In the meantime, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates, kind of church family updates. Thanks, Bob. Uh, First of all, just to to acknowledge... uh, the latest group of people that have gone through our membership process, really, it's a process where you learn more about who we are, our statement of faith, and just a way of, of formally identifying with us as a church community. So we've got two slides of people, and I just want to say a welcome to them as they have gone through this process. Also, just a couple of calendar updates, calendar reminders um, first, uh, starting next Sunday, just a reminder that uh, next Sunday we're moving our 9 a.m. service out to the tent. When you come next week, there's going to be a large tent in the back. We used this last year really for COVID mitigation, but we discovered it's, you know, it's just a great opportunity, kind of a different way to get people together. So the tent is coming back. So our service outdoors uh, will resume next Sunday at the 9 a.m. service. Then moving a little farther along in the calendar, coming up in June, we have uh, Crew 2022, which is our Kid Steps really exciting week, an evening for kids. And as you came in, you should have received this packet of cards, and I just wanted to highlight this for you. First of all, you will notice the small card, and these are just different ways you can get involved. The small card, it, it will take you to a link if you just scan the QR code. Uh, that describes serving opportunities. And I realize you might think, well, I'm, you know, I'm not good with kids, or I'm not sure how I could help, or maybe you would say, oh, I looked at the calendar, I'm not here that, all of that week. But if you, if you scan the code, it's going to give you a variety of ways in which you can serve and different opportunities for you to get connected. So if you can serve one night, if you're only available one night, you, that, that's an opportunity. Or maybe you could be a person who helps with the setup or teardown. So I encourage you, uh, just at some point, just scan the card just to explore all the different ways people can get involved in, in serving our families, serving our kids, and, and perhaps one of those is going to be a great fit for you. And then you'll notice the larger cards. These are invitation cards. Now, some of you have kids that are going to be joining us, and you can use the other cards to maybe invite some of their friends, uh, and, but maybe you're kind of out of that age group a little bit, and this really doesn't seem to apply to you, but can I encourage you just to prayerfully consider maybe people that you know that would, would have a, a, a child that would enjoy this week? And, and in doing that, can I challenge you to do this? Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate the power of a personal invitation. Just to kind of, hey, this is something our church does for kids. They have a really good time. It's all about thinking bigger this year. And maybe this would be something that your child, your son, your daughter would enjoy. And that's true. I can help you get connected. And just to have a a simple conversation like that. Earlier this year, we had kind of a hangout event for fourth and fifth graders. And at this event, we had 41 fourth and fifth graders. And of those 41, 19 were first-time guests. It was the first time they'd ever been in this building. And the reason was this, just a simple, personal invitation. So uh, if you would just join me in thinking through, you know, okay, who, who are some people that I might be able to invite? So different ways that we can uh, get involved and, and really support our kids, support our families coming up in June. Now, as I said a moment ago, uh, you're starting a new series, and that brings us to Romans chapter 6. You know, last Sunday, obviously, was Easter, and I don't know about you, but I think for many of us, uh, maybe that, that included some 
extra activities. Some of you were traveling during Easter. Uh, Some of you maybe spent time with friends and family. Uh, Our family is scattered, but we spent some time with some friends who invited us over, so we had a great time. And and maybe even for you, there were certain... Easter traditions, right? You got the baskets, maybe the Easter egg hunt if you've got small kids. Believe it or not, in our family, the Easter egg hunt continues because my parents have graduated to putting money in the Easter eggs. So my sons are all about that tradition continuing because it's, you know, Easter becomes a great way to raise funds for your gas account. So uh, they've you know, and so we've got different traditions. You probably do too. But of course, that was last week. And whatever your traditions look like, the baskets have been put away, the eggs have been put away. And, and this is kind of a natural time of year where, where then our mind flips to the next big thing, right? Easter's kind of a big weekend, but then our mind flips to the next big thing. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's Mother's Day. Maybe, maybe there's some graduations coming up for you or weddings and, and our extended family. We have uh, two of my nephews are graduating, so those are kind of the next big things. And maybe you're already thinking now about, you know, your mind's kind of turned, the weather's getting nice, to what your travel plans, where you might be going to uh, visit for vacation. And so it's really natural once you get through one big day to then flip the page and think about what the next big day might be. But this year, this year we're going to do something different around here. <laughs> you see, this year we're, we're not going to simply move past Easter. This year, we're going to unpack it. And and what we're going to do is we're going to take six weeks and just spend some time in different parts of the New Testament that talk about the ongoing implications of the resurrection, the ongoing implications of, of the Easter message for you and for me. And obviously, this is a series called Resurrection as a Way of Life. Now, here's why I think this is important. Um, Because on the one hand, we need to understand this. On the one hand, the New Testament is absolutely emphatic that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to Christianity. Let me repeat that. The New Testament is, is absolutely emphatic, and I'll word it a little more strongly, that the historic reality of the resurrection is absolutely central to Christianity, right? I mean, think about the Apostle Paul, right? Here's a leader of the early Christian movement. I mean, this guy was all in when it comes to Christianity, but the Apostle Paul said, look, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, if that tomb was never empty, then my preaching is vain and and your faith is in vain. Without, Without the historical event of the resurrection, you know what? Let's just go home early. Or let's all go to Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, (laughs) without the resurrection, what what are we doing here? And the New Testament is emphatic in that. For instance, if you trace the history of the early Christian movement through sources like the book of Acts, you begin to see that as Christianity spreads out from Jerusalem into other parts of the region and then finally into the great expanse of the Roman world, wherever the message goes, central to the message is always the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So the New Testament is absolutely unequivocally committed to the fact that our faith hinges on the truthfulness of what we experienced last Sunday. And so we need, we, need to, <laughs> we need to celebrate that. That's why we had confetti cannons here last week, right? I mean, this, this is a big deal. It's foundational to our faith. But, but, the New Testament also wants us to understand this 
about the resurrection. It's not just a dramatic event. It's also the dawn of a new era. Again, the Apostle Paul, right, writing to uh, this group of, of Christ followers in, in Ephesus and our, uh, arguably other places in this book of Ephesians, he prays particularly for these young followers of Jesus. And he, a part of his prayer is this. He said, I pray that, I pray that you're going to come to a deeper understanding. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you're going to understand the hope which we now have, the, the inheritance that is already yours. Furthermore, he says this, and I pray that you would know the power that is to be at work in you and around you. And it is the same power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, what Paul is getting at, the resurrection, it's, it's, it wasn't just a momentary dramatic event. It, it, it's, it's the dawn of a new era. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you, you are now part of this. The way the biblical writers think about this kind of goes along these lines. It's a recognition that the wonder and beauty of God's creation. But, but that, that creation has now been tarnished by, by selfishness, by sin, by brokenness. And all of us know that we see it in ourselves, we see it in others, we see it in our culture. And so we live in reality in this world of brokenness and sin. This world where things don't always go according to plan. This world where things of this week, even this next coming week, won't go according to plan at some point for you, most likely. But this present broken world, this present age of imperfection and sin, has now been invaded by a new age of restoration. By a new age where God's plan is already underway, brought to pass by the work of Jesus Christ confirmed through the resurrection. And so the writers of the New Testament want us to understand the the resurrection of Jesus. It's great that we celebrated last week and, you know, know, that was just a great Sunday, but it's not just a dramatic event. It is the dawn of a new era. Along those lines, just kind of maybe to illustrate, think about this. Suppose you lived, you had lived in the late 1800s or early 1900s. Now, some of us maybe are old enough to, we've had the opportunity to actually have conversations with family members long ago who who lived during that era. You know, I, I had the privilege of knowing some of my family who lived during the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. Imagine what it would have been like to live during that era with the arrival of electricity, Right? I mean, think about the possibility of maybe you grew, of growing up and you kind of grow up without electricity. You're accustomed to the lamps and, you know, manual tools. But then this new reality comes. Like, let me just show you this picture. This is a, a generator from the early dawn of the electric era. And you hear about this amazing new thing that's coming. And then slowly electricity comes to your area, to your community, to your neighborhood, and there's that first time that you see a building wired with electricity, and you experience electric light, and it's, it's just, it's amazing, 
And among your friends and family, there's all this, you know, maybe there are questions, maybe some there's certain fears, or, you know, what's, the, what's all this going to lead to? And, and you don't fully understand it then, but, but electricity has come and it will change everything. And in a similar way, the, the writers of the New Testament, when they, when, they, when they talk about the resurrection, it's not just, yes, we're going to defend the historicity and we've got eyewitness testimony and there are so many good arguments that we can make about this. But understand, it's not just a dramatic event. It is the dawn of a new era. So, that brings us to Romans chapter 6. And this is one of the passages that we are going to look at that helps us really think about this new era that the resurrection brings about. It helps us think about the resurrection inviting us into a new way of life. And with that in mind, let me just read the first four verses of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, let me acknowledge right up front, this is quite a densely packed argument that you see in this, this part of Romans. So what I want to do is kind of zero in on verse 4. And just begin to wrestle with what Paul is saying as he talks about the resurrection. And what I want you to see, uh, first of all, is just, I want you to see that Paul says something that I think is actually quite surprising. So let me read this verse again. Right? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Right? And so he's talking about how as followers of Christ, we have identified with the death of Jesus. And then he says this. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now here's what I find surprising. This is not what I would expect the Apostle Paul to say initially about the resurrection. You see, here's... Here's what I would expect him to say, and, and ultimately he does say this, but here's what I would expect him to say right up front. I would expect him to say something like this. You know what? You, because you put your faith in, in Christ, you have, you have identified with his death and the death to, death to sin. And even as you have identified with his death, you are now identified with his resurrection. And one day, you too will be raised from the dead just as Christ was raised from the dead. That's what I would have expected him to lead with. Because remember, Paul was Jewish. And he, right, he's a brilliant Jewish thinker. And in Jewish thought, here's how you understood God's plan and how God was working in history. You understood the reality. This, this world that we now know it is broken. It's not the way it, it's intended to be. But you also understand, understood that one day at the end of time, God would intervene to bring about justice and restoration. One day at the end of time, God would raise his people from the dead. That was kind of a Jewish perspective on on how this was to unfold. You you get a clue to this in a conversation in the Gospels. Do you remember Jesus' experience with Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus? Right, Lazarus dies, he's buried, and from Mary and Martha's perspective, Jesus is, is, is late getting to the scene, and so Jesus has this conversation with Martha, and, and Jesus looks at her and says, you know, your brother... Your brother Lazarus, he, he will rise again. 
And what does she say? She says, I know he will rise again. When? On the last day. That's that's how people put the whole thing together. Yeah, there's going to be a resurrection, but it's going to come at the very end. But that's not what Paul starts with. Right? He says, look, you've identified with Jesus' death. You've been buried with him. But you've also identified with his resurrection. So that, so that we may live a new life. And do you get the implication there? What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying that that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't simply affect your future, it also affects your present. In fact, the Greek grammar here is quite emphatic. It it includes a, a purpose clause, a result clause, so that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so that you might live a new life now. Now let that sink in. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so that this next week might look differently for you. Right now. The resurrection, it's not, it's not just the, the dramatic event. It's, it's the dawn of a new era. Now, to kind of unpack this a little further, let's just notice what Paul says has happened to us in this passage, particularly this verse. Notice what he says has happened to us if we were followers of Jesus. And and let me just highlight two things. First, he says, right, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, I realize this, you know, there's some interesting imagery here, and it it gets kind of complicated. But... um, you will notice that there is reference to baptism here, not only in verse 4, but if you go back to verse 3, he says, you were baptized into Christ Jesus, and you have been baptized into his death. Now, for various reasons here, I think ultimately the focus for Paul is he talks about being baptized here. The focus isn't primarily on the physical act of baptism, right? The physical act of baptism, which, for instance, we celebrate uh, several times a year here in our church. His focus is not primarily on the physical act of baptism. Rather, I think this is what you might call a metaphorical use. His focus is on what that act of baptism symbolizes. And in Greek, the term he uses uh, can be translated differently, and it can simply communicate the idea of being immersed into something, being plunged into something. And when, so, so when Paul talks about you've been buried with Christ, you have identified with him, and you have identified with his death, you, you can actually think of it in these terms. He is saying, you know what? You have been plunged into Jesus Christ. You have been plunged into his death. The thing about that, just let me ask you, has this, has, this, um, has this ever happened to you? You know, we're getting closer to summer, warmer weather, getting out, getting in the water. Have you ever had, maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're at a friend's house, just hanging out with friends or family by the pool, and you guys are having a good time, and you enjoy joking with one another, and the course of, you know, maybe it gets a little rougher, and at some point, somebody just pushes you into the deep end. Down you go. 
It's a summer day, but it, the, the water is cold, and as you go down, it, it just takes your breath away because you feel that all over your body, right? And you go down into the water, and, and at least for a few seconds, the, the water is all you experience. It's all you feel, right? It just, it is just totally dominated that moment. You have been plunged into the deep end. And, and I think in a similar way, what Paul is getting at is, as, as followers of Jesus, we've been plunged into Jesus Christ. We've, we've been plunged into his death. You are now identified with him and his death. And just as being pushed into the pool kind of totally reorients your life, at least for a moment. So being plunged into Jesus, plunged into his death, totally reorients the way your life should look. So what exactly does that mean? Well, I think if you, if you work through this passage, I think one of the things it means is this, that we are, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. You read later in the passage, and he talks about the fact that the the death Christ died to sin, he died once for all. Along similar lines in the book of Colossians, Paul says that, that Christ has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, nailing it to the cross. My debt has been paid when I was plunged into the death of Jesus. And for some of you, that is important to hear. Because for some of you, there are moments maybe when the guilt, the shame of things that you have done, the guilt and shame of things you didn't do that you wish you had done, there are moments when that, that just feels like a weight. There are moments when it just feels like it's this cloud of darkness hovering over your life. And in those moments, particularly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to come back to this truth that you have been plunged into Jesus Christ. You have been plunged into his death. So when when Paul talks about being buried with him, I think it addresses and it involves the issue of the penalty of sin. But I think it it also involves the power of sin, right? In verse 2, he says, you have died to sin. In verse 6, he says, you are no longer enslaved to sin. And that's a powerful image that shows us the way sin can be at work in, in our lives, in polluting our lives, in corrupting our lives, and even over time, you know, infecting certain habits of behavior and thoughts so that it can have an imprisoning effect in us. But Paul says, if you've been plunged into Christ, you you, know, you are no longer a slave to sin. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that now as a follower of Jesus, the expectation is that I'm going to get, every, get everything right? Does that mean, therefore, that as I go into this new week, I've got to get every conversation right, every, every decision right, all my thoughts right? Is that, is that the expectation? Because if that's the expectation, I can assure you there's going to be some disappointment. And I think you would say the same thing. If that's the standard, it's not happening, and... and And I can simply dismiss all that Paul is saying here as idealistic rhetoric on his part. But I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think what he's getting at is this. 
because you've been plunged into Christ, you, you no longer have to consider sin as normal. You now have other options. Just think about this for, for a moment. As you probably know, right, particularly over the last couple of years, and, and particularly the front part of COVID, it was easy to really get, get isolated from other people. And uh, just imagine there was a friend, maybe not a great friend, but a friend of yours, maybe an acquaintance, that, that through COVID you kind of lost touch with, lost track of. And, and recently you've heard, you know what, they're not doing pretty they're not doing particularly well. They've become isolated. Maybe they're, they're just working from home, but they've kind of become hermits and not in a good way, right? And you, so you decide, I'm going to check in on this person. So you call and, hey, I'm going, I'd love to take you out to coffee or let's go out for dinner, reconnect. And, and so you, you make that schedule. So, so upon that day, you, you show up at this person's apartment and you go into the apartment and it's almost like your jaw drops, because it's just a mess, right? I mean, you kind of look over here, and, you know, they're just kind of closed, just stacked up, and, and the lazy boy, and, and, you know, there's a coffee table in front of the TV, and it, there's just a pile of, of, of used to-go boxes from different restaurants, and it's just, just sitting there, and there's, there's some junk mail in the sofa that just hasn't been sorted. It's just piled up, and and your friend kind of moves into the kitchen as you guys are preparing to go. And, you know, you move into the kitchen. And, I mean, the counter is just littered with stuff. And the sink is piled up with dishes. And you walk into the, walk into the kitchen. And all of a sudden, oh, my goodness. You know, that, you, know, you know that feeling you walk into a kitchen and something's here and it's gone bad, right? Something is here and it doesn't need to be here. And that's, that's what you smell. And you can tell that the trash can is, is overflowing a bit. And then as you look around in front of the refrigerator, there's this igloo cooler. And that looks really odd in, in a kitchen. And you ask your friend about that. And he or she says, well, you know, I'm having, my refrigerator's been a little unreliable recently. And so I just kind of ice stuff up. And I just, that just kind of keeps it there to make sure it's good. And, and you look around. And everything... Everything you've experienced tells you this is not good, right? This, per- this person's not doing, this is, this, this is not as it should be. <laughs> and what becomes more troubling is as you spend more time, maybe you go out for dinner or coffee and just have some conversation, maybe you kind of raise an observation about what you notice, you realize they've gotten comfortable with this, Right? This is just like normal for them now. And they're just fine with what you experience. It's just no big deal. And everything within your body is screaming, no, this is not normal. Your life should look differently than this. And you see, in a similar way, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you have been plunged into Christ Jesus. You have been plunged into his death. Sin no longer has to simply be normal for you. There is a new way of life. There is a different way to live. And that that brings us back, right, to, that brings us back to verse 4. Because again, not only does Paul say you have 
been buried with Christ, that is in identifying with Jesus, you have you've been buried with him through his death, but he also says that, that through your identity with Jesus, you're now empowered to live a new life. So what does this mean, to live a new life? Well, I think in some ways it's the life that flows out of what he's just described in chapter 5. He says, because of Christ's work, we have peace with God. That relationship has been restored, and we, we are to now live in his grace. And through his grace, we are being restored. And as recipients of that grace, God's plan is also to work in us and through us. Now, I realize at this point you may say, well, George, this, you know what? This sounds great on a Sunday morning, right? These big ideas, they sound great. But right now, this feels very disconnected from what I'm going to be dealing with this week. Maybe you're already thinking about, you know, things you've got to do this week and some of your responsibilities in the workplace or things going on at school or things in, you know, your extended family. And it's like, George, you've got to understand, I'm having to deal with this issue and at work. And when I deal with this issue, there's some really frustrating people and it's going to be part of my week. And to be honest with you, when I'm having to deal with this issue and the, the frustration, the disappointment, maybe the stress, I don't feel very new. I don't feel like I'm living this new kind of life. It feels like the same old thing to me. So maybe at this point, all that we're seeing in this passage, you just, you just feel disconnected from it. Well, if that's the case, would you just pay attention to the flow of Paul's argument? Because at this point, I think it gets really interesting. Let me just read the next verse. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And what I did, I put verses 4 and 5 in, in a simple chart. And what I want you to see is, and I think this is important, and I think this is really helpful. So just pay attention to what Paul is sharing with us here. What Paul is doing is this. In back-to-back statements... He talks about the fact that as Christians, we've, we've been identified with the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. So in both of these statements, he starts by saying, look, you, you're a follower of Christ. In a real sense, you, you have been identified with his death. So right, verse 4, he says, you've been buried with him through baptism into death. And this in verse 5, he says, you've been united with him in a death like his. So he begins in both statements by talking about the fact you have been You've been identified with Jesus in his death. But then in the back half of each statement, he says, even as you've identified with his death, you've now identified with him in his resurrection. But notice the different emphases. Because in verse 4, he says this. You've been identified with his resurrection in such a way that it leads to a new life now, right? Just as Christ was raised, we too may live a new life. And that's now. But in verse 5, he says, and as you've been identified with Christ in his resurrection, one day you will be raised just as Christ was raised, right? We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And you see what, you see what Paul is getting at, and this is so helpful. So look, you've been plunged into Christ, you've, and there's now a new way to live, and that new way of life has already started. 
The implications of the resurrection are already underway. But, but undoubtedly, there are going to be times when it gets hard, when it feels like you're off the road, when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't feel very new. And particularly in those times, it's important to remember that even though this new life has started, one day it will come in its final form. One day you will be raised, even as Jesus was raised. And where we get into trouble is if we, in essence, hold on to one verse without paying attention to the other. So, for instance, maybe I kind of live life this way. You know what I believe? I believe Christ was raised. I put my faith and trust in him. And I believe one day, I believe in the new heavens and the new earth. One day he's going to come back and, you know, I'm going to be raised from the dead. But in the meantime, you know, life's pretty tough. And life's hard. And it's just easy not to, it's easier just not to raise your expectations. And so if you, you know, keep your expectations low, just kind of muddle through, make the best of it, and, and that will be fine. And you see what I'm doing there? I'm, I'm, I'm really holding on to verse 5, but I've lost the sense of verse 4, that the resurrection is already underway in its implications. On the other hand, maybe I'm this person who goes around saying, you know what, Christ died for us, and that means all of this has started now, and so I better measure up because I'm supposed to be living this new life. And anytime I mess up, I'm just absolutely convinced of what a horrible person I am, and, and anytime I mess up, I really need to keep that a secret because I'm in church, and we're supposed to all have it all together. We're all these new Christians. We're all living this new life, and you know, if I mess up, I, I'm not, you're going to be the last people I tell because we're all supposed to have it figured out, and therefore we figure out how to live behind this facade of being a good Christian. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm really holding on to verse 4. But I lost sight of verse 5. But Paul gives us both verses, and I think he wants us to hold both of them together. Right? The resurrection has brought about this new way of life, and it's already started. But that doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. That doesn't mean it's always going to go according to plan. But even as, as we go through some of the hard pieces of living out the resurrection, we also need to be confident that one day it will come in its final form, and we will be raised as he is raised. Now, how do I put all that together? Well, Paul really begins to answer that in the back half of this section. And I'll just give, tell you this. We're actually going to come back to this passage in two weeks and kind of sit a little further in, 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 in how Paul says, this is how you embrace this way of resurrection. This is how you keep all of this in view. Uh, but in the meantime, let me, let me just highlight for you verse 11 because this is really where Paul starts to answer the question. Okay, so Paul, so how do we embrace all that you're telling us about this new way of life? And in In verse 11, here's what Paul says. He says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves. You can translate it this way. uh, um, Consider. Keep this in mind. One scholar has said, what Paul is getting at is, you need to draw certain conclusions about your life that you might not ordinarily draw. But I think what Paul is saying is this. If you were to embrace the resurrection as a way of life, the more and more your new identity needs to shape your reality. And again, we'll, we'll unpack this a little more in two weeks, but, but let me just give you one example of what that looks like. Imagine there's a complicated relationship in your life right now. For some of you, you don't have to imagine. There's some person that comes instantly to mind, right? Right? 
Maybe it's a coworker, somebody in your neighborhood. Um, maybe it's a family member, an extended family member. And the reality is with this person in this relationship, the conversations do not go well. Um, maybe even for some of you, this has happened recently. Maybe you were together as a family or, you, you know, you were at an event even last week and, and there's just, it, it's not going well. Certain ways about how this person interacts, they can be demeaning, degrading, hurtful to others. And you've experienced that. And up to now, here's kind of how you've dealt with it. You're not really a confrontational person. You don't like conflict. And so how you have dealt with it is this. You just kind of internalized what you've experienced. You know, and you've gotten angry, but it just turned inward. And it, but as a result, over time, what's happened has been in this relationship, there have been kind of layers building, layer upon layer of bitterness. And sometimes, you know, Sometimes that bitterness comes out in conversations with other people, just talking about them. You're driving home from that Easter family gathering and you're complaining about this relative. But you never actually talked to them. And, And you're not really sure if you could actually bring it up well, right? You're not really sure if you could bring it up without blowing up because you're not a confrontational person, but the truth is those layers of bitterness are highly combustible. And if you just get a little, give a little spark to it, the whole thing could blow. And so this is where you're at. This is how you've handled it. And you, and you know what? You know it's not great, right? You know, you know, I know there are better ways to handle this. And yeah, I know I'm a Christian and I should think differently, but this is just the way it is, right? This is just the way it is. This is life. And we all get that. But then, <laughs> but then the Apostle Paul comes knocking on your door <laughs> to your apartment through the words of Romans 6. And he opens the door and he looks around at the mess. And he says, you don't have to live this way. This doesn't have to be normal. You do have other options. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what might it look like for your identity to shape your reality? What might it look like for you to figure out how you could have that conversation, but do it in such a way that even as you raise hard things, you can still be for them? How can your new identity help you process that bitterness so that you don't just get stuck in moments where just the thought of that person just kind of creates an endless loop of negative thinking? How can your new identity kind of help you catch your tongue the next time you're just, you just want to unload and complain about this person to somebody else? What's it like to acknowledge the hurt, but also acknowledge that you are a recipient of God's grace? And you can trust that his promises, his justice 
will ultimately prevail. A few moments ago, we began by talking about Easter. Right, and the things we did, and it was great to celebrate Easter. But in celebrating the resurrection, we have to see it's not just a dramatic event. It is also the dawn of a new era. A new era that invites us to a new life now. Let's pray together. Father, it was great to be together last week to celebrate the reality of the resurrection, to celebrate as your church and your church family the, the message of Easter. But now, as it's kind of, we're, we're a week out, I pray that over the next few weeks, as we kind of delve back into the New Testament's description of the resurrection, I pray that we would see that, that the resurrection, it's not, it's not just a dramatic event, it is the dawn of a new era. And Father, I pray that we would be open to what that new era looks like in our own lives. Along those lines, Father, I pray particularly for, for some of us here because maybe more than anything this morning, what we need to hear is we've been, we've been plunged into the death of Jesus Christ. Our identity is now rooted in this new relationship in such a way that we can live a new life now. And Father, maybe the truth is, for some of us, the apartment of our lives has become very messy. And we have, we've just gotten comfortable thinking, well, this is just the way life is. This is just my normal. But would your spirit just remind us, and even now, that if we've been plunged into Christ, if we have been plunged into his death, sin no longer has to be normal. There is a new way to live. A way to live where more and more our new identity shapes our reality. May we hear that clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thanks for joining us as we start this new series on this beautiful spring day. And at this time, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be available here at the front. And you know, even as we've maybe been talking about the reality that, that sin doesn't have to be normal, maybe there's an area in, in your life we can pray with you about or something that is weighing heavily on your mind right now, something that makes it hard to feel like I can live a new life in this situation. And if that's the case, just as your church family, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So members of our prayer team, are going to be here and and available to you. So now as you go, just remember that the resurrection is not just the dawn, or excuse me, not just the dramatic event, it is the dawn of a new era. A new era that even this week, this week, invites you to a new life now. Amen.